It is so good to see you and Merry Christmas, Happy Belated Thanksgiving across all of our campuses at Bethlehem Church, the OC at 211. You're in the South Venue, our friends on island, wherever you're at here with me, uh, we're glad you're here. I hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving. Uh, my family's so thankful to be a part of this body, to be serving with you guys. And so we hope you have, I watched a lot of football the last few days. I don't know about you, like enough, uh, not, there's never enough football, but you know what I mean by that. I uh, had great food, great time, and I hope you did as well. And let me kind of get us to the Christmas season. Advent is the four Sundays that lead up to Christmas Eve. Because you attend Bethlehem Church, we believe because our church is named Bethlehem, has got a big deal at Christmas, okay? We think we can take some liberties, and so instead of four Sundays, we're starting Advent today and saying it's five Sundays as we build to Christmas Eve. And our Christmas Eve services are our biggest services all year outside of Easter, and they will be happening. Let me let you know about them. You'll see them all over social media. You'll see them all over our website here at 316. We'll kick them off on Thursday evening, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. All the same services. We're an expansion project, which is a holiday weekend. There's no room because we didn't do Thursday night this week. They told me I had to take off on Thanksgiving. I'm like, I'd have been here preaching, but they're like, no, people need to be home, whatever. Okay, and so, uh, but we are, uh, Thursday it kicks off multiple services because we're an expansion. All of them are the same though. It's a family-friendly service. You choose the one. You come at our campuses, 211 Oconee, your service times as well. You can see that they will be, all of them are Christmas Eve services. Now, Christmas Eve, we're doing morning services. So if you're into the night feel and Christmas Eve's got to be a night service, come to the other nights. We're okay with that. You don't have to come Sunday, just this one time a year. And so uh, you choose the one to come from. We'd love for you. Let me say this. It's an easy invite. Christmas is an easy invite. There's something about nostalgia, the sentimentality, the spirit of Christmas. People are open to invitation. So your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, it's the easiest invite. I cannot tell you how many people we've baptized at Bethlehem Church that's first entrance back into the church or ever attending a church was a Christmas Eve service. They may not have made a decision at that service, but that was their first step back into a family of faith or around the things of God, and they came to a Christmas Eve service, and they experienced it. So invite people in, and let me say the other thing. The holiday season, the most wonderful time of the year, the magic of Christmas, whatever you want to say, that is the happiest time of year. But I also have learned this pastoring. This time of year, if life is hard, if you're going through a hard season, at Christmas, hard doesn't take a break. It seems to only get elevated. So when people are walking through hard and difficult during the holidays, sickness, pain, struggle, it seems to be amplified. I say all that to you don't know what's going on in people's life. And people need a fresh dose of hope, and that's what we hope to give at Bethlehem. So invite them on a Christmas Eve. Go ahead and begin to pray about and think about the people you are around because we want you to do that. So I say that to look to the person to your right, look at the person to your left, and say, Christmas Eve service, we're going to one if we're crazy, maybe two. Okay, do that real quick, right quick. I'll beat all of them. I don't know where y'all will be, but I'll beat all of them. So as we hop into this, let me talk about something that's cool and random. Like Bethlehem Church, we're three church or three locations, one house, many rooms, but our broadcast campus is where I'm preaching from right now, 
is in Bethlehem, Georgia, right? The city limits. We're on the side of 316 and Highway 11. This is cool, but it's also kind of random, right? What do you mean? Like Bethlehem, the, the town, right? The zip code, the area, if you will, named after the town of Bethlehem where Jesus was born. So it's kind of a big deal. We don't think anything about it because all of us go to Bethlehem Church for some time. It is right here at 316 and Highway 11. Again, we know it, not a big deal, but it's kind of cool too. Because do you actually know what our address is? 548 Christmas Avenue. Ooh. <laughs> so make sure you're tracking with me right now. You go to Bethlehem Church and our address, at least for the next year, right? By the way, this is our last Christmas in this facility. Can I get a witness, okay? And so uh, if you haven't been driving by, they're moving now, okay? So we're moving, right? But it's kind of 548, like I, it's like Highway 11, but for some reason, somebody back in the day gave it the avenue, Christmas Avenue. And so, you know, and again, we know it's kind of deal, uh, but it's, it's random, it's cool, because it's like not everybody can just say they go. So let me tell you how, this, now everything's digital, but like it's like we see it as normal, but people see it as like, okay. So let's say I go to a conference. I cannot tell you how many times this happened. I go to a conference somewhere when I first started, it doesn't happen as much now because everything's digital. But you would go and you would check in and I'd be speaking or attending or something like that. And they would, you know, go to the registrar table. And what's your name? Jason Britt. And what church do you pastor? I'm at Bethlehem Church, okay. And let me make sure I got your mailing address right. 548 Christmas at, wait, Darlene. Darlene, look right here. <laughs> do you know what this young man's name is? What is? His name is Jason. Do you know where he pastors? Where's that? Bethlehem Church. And do you know what their address is? 548 Christmas at, isn't that something? Happened all the time. Right? Happen all the time. Or I get some sarcastic joker like me, and he'd be going, oh, what's your name? Jason Britt, where do you pastor? Bethlehem Church. Let me make sure I got your address right, right here. 548 Christmas Ave. Are you kidding, bro? Really? <laughs> Bethlehem Church on Christmas Avenue? Come on now. What are you saying, right? I say all that to say it's a big deal, right? We're going to celebrate Christmas when you go to Bethlehem Church on Christmas Avenue. And, and, and reality is, it's like, we're really going big time now because we're leaving Christmas Avenue and our new address is super sophisticated. It's on Hog Mountain Road, right? <laughs> so I can't win, man. I can't, where do you, Hog Mountain, uh, Highway 53, I don't know, it all makes sense. Listen, it's Christmas though, right? And the challenge for pastors at Christmas, and I feel like I can say this because we're friends, I've been pastoring you long enough, the challenge for pastors at Christmas is the nativity scene is the nativity scene is the nativity scene every year. The nativity scene doesn't change. Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2, they're shepherds. Guess what? There were shepherds when you were kids. They're still shepherds. Like Easter's a day. Christmas is a season. You ever thought about that? Like Easter's a day, but Christmas is like this whole thing. I mean, there's Magi. What's Magi? There's Wiseman. There's Bethlehem. And there's the stable. Right? And there's all of these different things that go in and they're all there and they're beautiful and they're historic and there's so much stuff that's there. But oftentimes at Christmas as a pastor, you're like, here I go. How do you bring something new to a story that we know so well? And then last Christmas, in my own personal time with God, 
I spent 25 days in one chapter in the Bible. A little devotional that I did in my own personal journey. Right? A little bit, and it was out of not Matthew 1 or 2, not Luke 1 or 2, but it's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I walked in after I'd finished the devotional after Christmas. I handed the book I was reading to my assistant. I said, next Christmas, this is what I'm teaching. This is the deal because God did such a work in my life. 1 Corinthians 13 is known in the Bible as the love chapter. Thus, love came down at Christmas. And if there's something that we all agree on in our society where nobody agrees on anything, it's simply this. <coughs> everyone seems to argue, or excuse me, not argue, everyone seems to agree <laughs> Christmas is about love. And to borrow the words of John Paul Young, the old 70s song, Love is in the Air, you know what I mean? That, at Christmas it is. Every song, every carol, word love is in there. You'll buy something, and the slogan will be to show someone you love them, buy them this. To show someone you really love them, buy, and you fill in the blank with what you buy them and how expensive it is will show you you really love them. If you listen to the Hollywood type, the elite, the celebrities, right, the politicians, the influencers, this time of year, what makes Christmas so great? Start watching tonight. I guarantee there'll be a Christmas show on with celebrities or musicians singing Christmas songs. What makes this time of year so unique? What makes Christmas so wonderful? What makes it the best? I mean, I say Christmas, obviously. That's crazy. They may call it the holiday season, right? What makes this time of year so wonderful? And here's what they'll all say. Well, love. It's all about love, man. We Can't we just all love each other? And that's what Christmas means to me. Love. Now, as Christ followers, we don't disagree Right? But it gets real specific for us. What do you mean? For God so loved the world that he gave. Christmas is the gift that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so for me, what happened, love came down. I spent 25 days going phrase by phrase and word by word, and verse by verse, through a passage that I had talked about a ton in my time. What do you mean? It's a very eloquent, 1 Corinthians 13 is a very eloquent passage. It's rhetorically pleasing, right? Every wedding I've done, and I've done hundreds of weddings, I've read 1 Corinthians 13. I would argue most weddings you've been to, You've heard 1 Corinthians 13, or at least a portion of 1 Corinthians 13. But what began to happen in my life last Christmas, something I needed that I didn't know I needed, is God began to right-size and refresh. I went back and got my journal from last Christmas and just sat down and looked at the ways God refreshed me. As I saw 1 Corinthians 13, right, in context, because there's a power to it. Once you move, because it's eloquent, sounds different than anything in the New Testament, but it's meant more to be than just this, mmm, love. No. It's meant to right-size and shake some things in our soul. So across our campuses, we're just going to begin, but I want you to stand with me because I'm going to read the whole passage, and then for the next few weeks as we look to Christmas Eve, we're just going to break it down. Stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. 1 Corinthians 13, and then we're going to free some of us up. We're going to right-size some things and maybe start us on a journey of some new things in our life, in our time together. 
1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have a faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love. Now make sure you get what he just said there. I give away everything I got, and I give my body to be burned. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, that's somebody who's legit. That's somebody who's serious. They go to church more than once a month, right? If they're giving their body to be burned, that's crazy around here, right? But that's crazy, right? They're legit, but I don't have love. I gain nothing. How many of you heard this part? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy, nor does it boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide or remain, these three. But the greatest of these is, you can be seated, church. <coughs> All right, here's what I want you to put down. You gotta make sure we're on the same page. You got your Bethlehem Church app or you got your notes. Free some of us up, right-size some things. We've heard the passage before, but let's bring it to life. People have certain assumptions about what love is or what love isn't. Nobody's going, love, tell me about this word. I've just never heard it. No, nobody's ever gone to a church and a pastor said love, and they're like, oh, I've never heard a message on love. We get it. Right, We know it, but what I would say is we like to coin or project onto love the way we think about it. So how many times I've done marriage counseling in my time as a pastor, people come in and they sit down with me and they're talking to me, right? And almost every time when there's a couple dealing with issues and every couple deals with issues, here's what they'll say when they come just to make sure I know. Now the issue isn't that we don't love each other. We love each other. The first five minutes, the issue's not love. What is that? We get it, love, we get it, we got that part. Because again, we all do this. So in our society right now, when we talk about the word love or to be loving, what do we project onto it? What, it, what we mean right now in our society, to love or be loving means you're a non-judgmental and non-corrective person. That's what it means. Love doesn't tell people how to live their lives, but simply embraces people for who they are, no matter their desires or actions. That's in us as our society. Let me tell you what that is right quick. Make sure you get this. That is us coining or projecting onto love what it is. It's what we just did in our society. This is our interpretation of what we think love is. This is our projection we just projected a definition of love just like that. 
Just love people. Don't correct them. Don't call them out. Just accept them. No matter what, that's what loving is. And if you correct or you call out or you may go, I disagree, you're unloving. Our society just made that whole thing up. That's what we do with love. Or we go, oh, yeah, love. Love means emotions and feelings. I got all the feels. Right? He gives me or she gives me all the feel. I have this affection. I have this desire. Right? That's what we think about. No, we're not the first society in human history to talk about love in different ways. In fact, Corinth, the letter's written in Greek. The New Testament's written in Greek. Paul writes it. We translate into English. And in the original Greek, there are four different words Four different words that are all used that mean love. We're not the first society that ever kind of hijacks the word love and makes it mean something. Like I put them in your notes. There's four different words in the New Testament for love. Four different layers, four different expressions. What do you mean? The first one is eros, right? That's sexual love. That's intimacy. That, that's the first word. Before everybody gets uncomfortable, I'm just going to leave it there, Right? That's intimacy, right? That is a way that it's expressed. That's one way. Everybody relax. There's, I'm not going to go into any more definition. No charts and graphs, right? No anatomy class. Somebody's like, oh my gosh, I brought my kids. Well, they're going to learn a lot, right? Some of you are like, this is the greatest church I've ever been to, man. Talk, pastor. You know, somebody's like, preach. This guy over here, I don't even want to ask questions, okay? Christmas Eve service, sir, okay? Uh, <laughs> hope, right? But that, that's one form of love, no doubt about it. And then there's another one is, is referred to as storge, which is a family love, that a, a love a parent has for a child, a love between family members, the family bond. We're connected, right, together because we're families, family of origins, biological you see that word come up from time to time when love, storge in the New Testament. Here's another one, philia, which is deep friendship, or we know as brotherly love. Think of the city of brotherly love, <laughs> Philadelphia. I don't know if it is. They like to claim it. Uh, but it's the idea that we're not biologically related, but I love you like a brother. Or I have deep affection for you. I care for you like a family member. That's the idea. But the only word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13 is agape. It's the only word he uses when coming for love. Four different terms in the New Testament, one Paul uses. What is agape? It's a love that loves without changing. It's a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It's a love that loves even when it's rejected. Agape loves and gives because it wants to, not because it is expecting anything or demanding a repayment in return. It gives because it loves. It does not love in order to receive. It's a different type of love. This is the only word Paul uses. In fact, do you know we get the English word agony from agape? When you're in agony, something hurts. Something's painful but you're enduring it, you're agonizing for the payoff, for the greater purpose. So to go through agony, pain, and hardship, 
So let's use that in agape. You're willing to sacrifice. You're willing to absorb hard and complexity and absorb difficulty for the benefit of someone else. So then what is this agape? Because there's all different types. Just like we go love and there's all different types. What is this agape love? Here's the definition and we're gonna spend time in this. It's a love that has little to do with emotion or feeling. So it's not a love that's prompted because I feel like it or in the moment I have an emotion, but it's a love that has to do with self-denial for the sake of another. So if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's like, oh, can't we just all get along? And then love just wonderful. And can't we just be nice to each other? You're misreading 1 Corinthians 13. Because there's a depth to it that we miss. In fact, just for a moment, let me put it in context. If there's something I could teach you as a pastor, this is the one thing I would tell you. When it comes to studying the Bible, you have to understand context. In fact, all of our campus, from the front to the back, let's say this word together, one, two, three, context. Like you have to understand context. What do you mean by context? The Bible cannot say something to us that it was not saying to the original audience. This is so big that you get this. When you understand the context of where a passage of scripture comes from, it comes to life. But when you take a passage of scripture and make it what you want it, what happens is you're serving yourself, not listening to God. So the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is it follows 1 Corinthians 12. In the letter to 1 Corinthians, the church was a big mess. 1 Corinthians, I mean, the church at Corinth was a mess, but they had spiritual gifts. Do you know that if you follow Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you, and you have been gifted? God has given you a gift, and that gift that God has given you is for the benefit of others and the building up of his church. That's why he gives you a gift. So the church at Corinth had these extraordinary gifts but they used them for the benefit of themselves, to show off spiritually speaking. Their life was a mess, but when they got together, now they had a big time. When they came together to worship, there were some crazy things happening, right? In 1 Corinthians 14, he's correcting the gift of tongues, right? It's a whole nother message for another day. Right, but he's correcting it because he's saying you're using this gift or this prophetic gift and you're using it to make yourself look spiritual, not to serve the body. Right, Paul is simply asking what is spiritual. They were prideful. They were self-serving. And Paul pushes on them. In fact, the first three verses, all I want to spend just a second on, because all of us have heard this. If not, we've heard it referenced. Here's what Paul, here, the, really, the question Paul is going, that's the first part of 1 Corinthians 13, but put the question up. What does it mean to be spiritual? Think about it. In your mind, what does it mean to be spiritual? That's what Paul's pressing on. When you think spirituality, to be a spiritual person, what do you think? Now put the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 up. And I'm just going to ask a couple of questions based on these three verses. Possessing a full array of spiritual gifts, does that mean you're spiritual? I can't tell you how many people I've stood right here at this stage through the years who have walked up to me at the end of the service and they were raised in some tradition 
that said if they don't have this certain gift, then they must not have all the Holy Spirit. Really? Really? So if you, it's spiritual, this possessing of this supernatural gift, right? Is that, is that what it means to be spiritual? It's speaking with eloquence, right? Prophetic powers, and able to understand all mysteries or to explain the mysteries of God. Does that mean I'm spiritual because I can do this? Is that what it means to be spiritual? That's what Paul's going. What do you think about, what does it mean to be spiritual? That's what he's asking. Or is having faith that raises the dead. Ooh. Yeah, that one. That's what he's doing right here. Like such great faith, big faith, because God wants faith, a faith that can take a mountain and move it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's spiritual. Or let's get even crazier. Is radical self-denial or courageous sacrifice that spiritual? Because they were going, yes, that's it. And Paul leans in, and here's what I want you to say. Here's what he's saying. Spectacular gifts, talents, and achievements without love are insignificant. That's what he's saying. You can point at something and go, man, doesn't that make me spiritual? But if you don't have love, the love of others in you, right, then, then, then what do you have? When you have a gift and the gift is about you, the gift is not about the benefit of others, the gift is about building up yourself, that's not love. When, you, when we use talents God has given us, and God, listen, parents, lean in for a second. God gives us talents. God's given your gifts talents. Do you know how much the world right now is telling you, help your kid find his or her talent and focus on that because that's what makes them significant. Their talent to give them confidence, you got to call their talent out. Do you, like what Paul is pressing is the thing that you think makes you significant, the thing that makes you spectacular, the thing that you think makes you stand out. What if that actually serves yourself and not other people? Is that loving? That's what Paul's pushing. Well, think about it, man. Like we're in an individualistic society. Social media didn't make us that way. We were that way. Social media just perfected it. Like individualistic. So think about it. Platforms, all the platforms, Instagram, TikTok, X, Twitter, whatever you call it, right? Some of you, some of you old timers like, say Facebook. Well, that's for old people. But yeah, Facebook, that's great. <laughs> whatever, okay? I get it. I get it. But, but hang with me here for a second. Think about up under all of it. Focus on what makes you distinctive and let the world see it. What you're good at. Your unique contribution, what makes you stand out. Look, I get it. It's the new economy. It's how business is done, right? We, we've got social media here at the church. I'm not, what, what I'm saying to you is we are conditioned to believe that what makes us significant is what makes us stand out from everyone else. Paul is saying the church at Corinth, they were so focused on my thing. What's my thing? That was their focus. What's my thing? For the church at Corinth, they were gifted spiritually. That's a good thing. But if the gift that God has given us is not for the benefit of others, but for building up ourselves, it's not done in love. So if your talent 
If your success, if your money's about your comfort and not about what God can do with it, then it's about you. It's not about you as a person that gives, right? What's my thing? And so Paul is pushing. That's why he goes, let me show you at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 a more excellent way. In fact, keep going. He says this, radical sacrifice without love is inconsequential. So spectacular gift that you go, look, look at this. This makes me spiritual. It doesn't have love. It's insignificant. But how great, like, like that's where Paul is pushing, radical sacrifice. Like think Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody heard that story? If you hadn't, Daniel 3 is unbelievable. Three guys standing up for God. They're willing to throw themselves into the flames to stand for God and not bow to Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that there is spiritual, right? No doubt. But here's the talk. This is how significant love came down in Jesus is. No matter how special the gift is or how extreme the sacrifice, effort that is energized by self-fulfillment and self-loved and not pursued for the benefit of others or honor Christ is a facade. What's a facade? Looks like something on the surface, but it's hollow. Let me say this again. Would you listen? No matter the level of success you have, no matter the level of achievement, no matter how much biblical knowledge you have, no matter how in touch with your gifting and how talented you are, I want you to listen to this. No matter how special the gift is or how extreme the sacrifice Effort that is energized by self-fulfillment and self-loved and not pursued by the benefit of others and to honor Christ is a facade. That's what Paul, it is in us to go, this is what makes us spiritual. And Paul is saying the most spiritual thing about you is love. This is what makes me spiritual. This is what makes me spiritual. This is what makes me spiritual. First Samuel chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. It's a famous passage talking about David, it says, the man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And in the context in 1 Samuel 16, it's saying this, the world may think you're nothing. The world may look at you and go, there's not much there, but God sees your heart. That's 1 Samuel 16. The world may look at you and forget about you. The world may look at you and go, boy, there's nothing significant about that person. There's nothing significant, but God sees your heart. But let's flip that. The world may look at you and go, boy, oh boy, they're incredibly spiritual. Boy, oh boy, look how blessed they are. Boy, oh boy, look how awesome they are. Boy, oh boy, look at their faith. And God actually knows what your heart is. Hello. So last Christmas, you can go back in my journal as I'm trying to kind of bring this into my own life. And here's what I wrote down. Jason, you can preach to sound good or you can preach to build other people. I know the difference. Jason, you can preach for the affirmation of man or you can preach for the edification of the body. People may not know the difference, but I do. It's the, it's the, it's the person that goes on the mission trip. I'm just saying this with a smile on my face. And the mission trip is, ton of, is tons of pictures of them helping the poor. Hey, look! Look! Paul's saying, ah, be careful. If it's not for the benefit of others, this is a tricky passage because Paul presses and goes, man, we can do all types of things. Now, 
Let me age myself for a second with a big smile on my face. Let me age myself. Probably the most popular, famous Saturday Night Live sketch of all time. Okay, now first of all, those of you going, I can't believe he watches Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I used to. <laughs> all right, then I came to a Christmas Eve service and got my life right, and I haven't since. <laughs> Back in the day, I'm not saying go watch Saturday Night Live. It's awful. Now, I really haven't watched in years. But boy, it was funny back in the day. <laughs> 25 years ago, it may not have been that. When I'm in high school or like early college, I remember. And, and on YouTube, even now, it is the most watched SNL sketch. Do you remember what it was? It was the cowbell. <laughs> Anybody seen this? You're going to go home and type it in. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> But the whole sketch is about <laughs> this band who's no good, but they're getting to record this song with this famous producer, right? And the randomness of the sketch is the producer says, listen, to make this song great, you got to give me more cowbell. That's the whole thing. No, 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 no. And here's the randomness. There's never been a time in the history of the world when somebody has gone, what would make that song awesome is if there's more cowbell. There's never been that. But this whole sketch, it's hysterical, is about you got to give me more cowbell. I got a fever. You remember that part? And the only thing I need is, you know, he's laughing, is more cowbell. Some of you are like pulling it up right now. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> My wife's like, Jason Britt, if you play that, I'm like, I'm not going to play it. But here's the reason, here's the reason, the cowbell. It's a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It sounds terrible. It's just awful, right? It's a resounding gong or a clang. Listen to me. What Paul is right-sizing for us is no matter what spiritual gift you have, no matter what level of achievement, you go, look, this is how God has blessed me. God must be happy with me because look how blessed I am. No matter what you think makes you stand out, what your thing is, Paul is saying without love, you gain nothing and you are nothing. Here's what that means. You can be convinced of your own greatness. You can be convinced of your own significance. You can be comfortable in your own wonderfulness. And to the rest of the world, you know what you are? A cowbell. A clanging gong or a resounding symbol. I cannot tell you how many times that breaks my heart over the years. When people speak with truth, but the truth they speak sounds like a clanging gong or a resounding symbol. Why? It's about showing themselves not showing themselves right, not benefiting and helping others. The church is notorious for this. Let me tell you how right I am. And here's what Paul's saying. You can be right and not be loving. You can have gifts and not be loving. You can look in life and go, look how blessed I am. Only God would give me this blessing. I must be living right. You can have all that. And here's what Paul says. You gain nothing and you are nothing. So let me free you up to end. Let me, the most practical question, the most spiritual question you can ask because some of you dudes, I love you. I'm one of you. You don't feel very spiritual. I can't do what Jason does, so I'm not spiritual. I can't sing like that. I'm, that, listen, I'm gonna free you up. Because Paul is saying, there are people who do what I do, but they're not very spiritual. That's what Paul's saying right there. What does it mean to be spiritual? The, the question, 
this Christmas, this Advent season, the most spiritual question you can ask tomorrow at your job. Like you want to find the heart of spirituality that's spiritual. Because the Corinthians would go, man, they speak in these wild tongues. That's pretty awesome. And man, they've got the, they can use these prophetic powers. That's pretty spectacular. And man, they've got great faith. That's pretty spiritual. And Paul says this, but they don't got love. And if you don't have love, you don't have Jesus because Jesus is the essence of love. Here's the question. What in the situation in which God has placed me, I'm talking to you, are the particular opportunities I see to serve others in word and deed? That's it. What's the opportunity where God has placed me? Now, mom and dad, just move outside of serving your kids for a second. I'm talking about bigger than that. That's a given. But agape is in the situation, my job, my neighborhood, the school, right, the people that work for me or work with me. The oper- this is the question this week. There's nothing more spiritual than you answering this question. What is the most spiritual thing happening in your life this week? Right here. This question. You go, I know all the Bible back and forth. Great. If you can't answer this, then you're missing out on what spirituality is. Where I can serve someone. I can do something for them. See, some of us, we disqualify ourselves as I'm not a spiritual person because I don't know what my gift is. There's nothing that really makes me stand out. There's nothing that really makes me spectacular. And and in fact, there's a whole lot of things that I'm not really proud of. Let me free you up. Paul would say this. If you know Jesus, you have the capacity to love. And if you have the capacity to love, that right there, eternity is significant. In a world that's about standing out, Paul is saying there's a ton of people that stand out. They got nothing. They gain nothing. And and here's the application. Here's what I did in my journal. Here's what we're going to see over the next few weeks. Simply this. If I, you fill in the blank with whatever we want you to. If I preach with power, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I pray like Mother Teresa, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I have a whole lot of money because I'm a really good businessman, but I don't have love, guess what? You got nothing. If I can point at this and go, look how much I know Bible knowledge, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I'm a small group leader, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I've been at Bethlehem Church forever, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I've always been in church, but I don't, this is what Paul is saying. Church, free ourselves up. The most spiritual thing happening in your life this week is love expressing itself. Stand with me around the room as we close our time. Love came down. Here's how we're going to end. Because what Christmas does, the Advent season, is it takes a very broad word, love, and makes it very specific. In fact, how powerful is this? What if we read 1 Corinthians 13? with the reality that 1 John says God is love. And in him there's no darkness at all. And that 
when we were at our worst, God gave us his best and love came down means Jesus stepped into this world. You can read 1 Corinthians 13 in a whole different way. What do you mean? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have Jesus, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not, come on now, how good is that? I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not Jesus, I gain nothing. Jesus is patient. He is kind. Jesus does not envy, and he does not boast. Jesus is not arrogant or rude. Come on, church, how good is that now, right? Jesus does not insist on his own way. What he means is Jesus doesn't say, hey, unless you do it like me, I'm not coming to you. No, Jesus come to us as we are. Jesus is not irritable. Thank God he's not irritable because we're people who make anybody irritable. <laughs> Jesus is not irritable, irritable or resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. Here's the best news ever, church. Jesus never ends. That is our faith.